And today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 27. We're going to actually look at the full chapter, and which is kind of awkward. It's one of those chapters where you can't just pick out a particular section of it and read just that section. You have to read the whole chapter to get the full story. So we're going to read all 46 verses of Genesis chapter 27 so we can all be on the same page and get the, get the story right. But as we... Uh, go through this text, we want to look at this, uh, this famous story. It's, a, it's one that everybody knows. It's a very popular VBS story, one that you probably learned in, in Sunday school about Jacob uh, stealing the, the blessing of Esau and, and disguising himself and, as Esau and going before his blind and, and ailing father to gain the blessing that Esau uh, that Isaac intended for Esau. But as we look at this story, we're going to find that there's no hero in it. There's nobody to point to to say, this is the person that we should look to as an example of how we should live. There's nobody to, to admire in this story. So as we go through this, I want you to keep that in mind. And, and that really has been a major theme of my sermons as we've gone through the book of Genesis is we look for all these heroes in these different stories and really they're none of them that exemplify everything that we should be as a Christian. But rather what the, this story, like all the other stories in the book of Genesis has done, is pointed us to someone who is the true hero of the story and that is Jesus Christ. And so we'll see that a little later as we go through this sermon today. But uh, what I'd like to do is let's read this whole chapter together, and then we'll pray together and get into the sermon. So follow along with me as I read Genesis chapter 27, starting in verse 1. God's Word says, <clears throat> When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he said, he, he answered, Here am I. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for for, from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am smooth, a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing." His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. 
Then Rebekah took the best, serve, best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food on the bread uh, and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son, Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat, my son's game, uh, eat his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before, your, before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great cry and bitter, a great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, even so, even me also, O my father. He, he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly called Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, 
Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his, his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that your word is true. And that you intend good for us through the proclamation of your word. Lord, we know that you are in control of all things. And no plot or plan of man can thwart the purposes that you have for this world. We see that very clearly displayed even now in Genesis 27. As we consider how these various characters in this story have sought their own good and their own purposes for Uh, through your blessing, but ultimately your blessing prevailed and your purposes prevailed as you had prophesied. So, Father, bless us as we study from this word. May we see that regardless of what the intentions of man may be, regardless even of our own intentions and our own sins, your purposes will be fulfilled and you will accomplish your will in our life. So, Father, give us courage to hear, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see as we seek to know you more. And Lord, may we leave from this place confident in the purposes that you have for us and in the ways that you have for us to carry out your purposes. Father, bless us now in Christ's name I pray. Amen. As we've already prayed today, there's a great deal of debate swirling in our society about the foundations even of our system of justice. We've talked about this for the last several weeks as we've looked at these different stories in the book of Genesis and how even today we can see applications for those in our lives as we watch each week the news develop of some new uncertainty or uh, chaos in the world. One particular example of that, I think, is, is one that was covered Uh, extensively on the news, and that is that on June the 8th, police in Seattle abandoned their East Precinct and protesters moved in to establish what became known as the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest. 
This movement sought to establish an area of the city where there was no police presence and from which these protesters could make demands about reforms that they wanted to see within the police department and within the city at large. And they did this for uh, several weeks, but by June the 22nd, the zone, which the mayor at one point had called a block party, had quickly unraveled into a place of lawlessness and death. And while the news media and commentators were quick to criticize CHOP, as it came to be known, or CHAZ, as it was known uh, early on, and while we, even in our own personal lives, might have criticized CHOP for its naivete and its belie- in believing that they could reach some utopic world free of police, most Americans, whether Christian or not, believe in one way or another that progress and ultimate blessing can be obtained by human efforts. Some believe that abolishing the police and transforming the legal system will accomplish that. Others believe that electing a conservative president and overhauling the Supreme Court will have a similar effect. Yet even with a conservative president and a majority conservative Supreme Court, recent rulings have legitimized LBGT Uh, claims to sexual identity and have struck down a Louisiana law restricting abortion. Since the German philosopher Hegel put forward a system known as progressivism, we have been consumed by the possibility of somehow working towards some perfect cultural or political system that could fix all of our problems. Lenin and Stalin practiced their progressivism through the revolution of communism. Adolf Hitler, on the, on the other side of the spectrum, practiced the same progressivism in Germany through the racial purity of Nazism. And at the same time that communism and Nazism were developing in Europe, presidents from Woodrow Wilson to FDR carried out a practice known as eugenics, in which the poor and those of certain races were forcibly sterilized so that they could no longer be a problem to society. When considering the errors of, quote, progress, the writer of Proverbs said it best in Proverbs fourteen twelve: There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. You see, mankind has always sought progress at the cost of life. Mankind has always sought blessing, the blessings of God without obedience to God. We have seen it in Adam and Eve. We've seen it in Cain. We've seen it in Lamech, in the pre-flood societies. And we've seen it in the people of Babel. We've even seen it in the chosen line of Abraham. This error of seeking God's blessing on our own terms is clearly displayed in Genesis chapter 27. As all of the actors in this story seek the blessings of God on their own terms. Interestingly, for centuries, the Jews and early Christians tried to find a hero in this story. Many promoted Rebecca as this heroine acting behind the scenes to bring about the purposes of God by this conniving plan that she comes up with. 
But the more you study this story, the more you come to realize that every last person in this story is acting selfishly and sinfully for their own purposes. To see this, I want you to look at the errors of the two parties involved, Esau and and Isaac and Jacob and Rebekah. As a backdrop to this, remember the prophecy of Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Remember that God has already established the purpose for these two boys that have been struggling even before birth. And remember also that in chapter 25, we are told that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. So first, let's consider the errors of Esau and Isaac. Isaac calls Esau in to go hunt for game that he might prepare what could be translated as a delicacy that he loves so that he might bless him. Now Esau gladly obeys and rushes out to go kill some game and gain the blessings of Isaac. Now, there are two errors that Esau makes, and there are two errors that Isaac makes here that I want you to see. First, we're told in verse 34 of chapter 26, and then again in in verse 46 of this chapter, that Esau had married two Hittite women, and they had made Isaac and Rebekah miserable. Now, remember the great care that Abraham had taken to make sure that his son Isaac did not marry from the people of Canaan. But rather, Abraham sent his servant into, back to his homeland so that he might find a bride for Isaac from among his own people. Abraham knew what the Israelites would later tragically discover. No one can be unequally yoked. Abraham and his descendants were set apart by God. And it would be impossible for him, for them to follow God if they adopted the practices and the worship of the women of the land that they were in. Paul says later on in the New Testament, he takes this same principle of being unequally yoked and he applies it to Christians living in the world. And he says that Christians should not marry unbelievers because it causes us to be unequally yoked. We are influenced by the unbelieving spouse to the detriment of our own faith. And I believe that this is something that we as believers ought to emphasize to our children and to our grandchildren is that they need to be careful about who they marry so that they know for sure that that person is a believer. Now, this is not, and and note very carefully, this is not an issue of race, not even, for, uh, not even for Abraham and for Isaac. This is an issue of religion. This is an issue of belief. Because these women held to pagan beliefs, they naturally brought down Esau and his family, and they brought a, a division in the, even the extended family of Isaac and Rebekah because of their Unbelief, And we should counsel our children and our grandchildren to be careful of the same thing 
by pursuing believers to be their spouses, not unbelievers. The second error that Esau makes is that he despises his birthright. The writer of Hebrews warns us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17, not to be like Esau, who despised his birthright by selling it for a cup of soup and then later tried to get it back only to lose it forever. Esau, like so many of the characters we've already seen, was a man of the immediate. He went for the closest woman he could find. He went for the most immediate need that he had rather than treasuring the promise of God above everything. Next, let's consider the two errors of Isaac. Isaac is also regularly portrayed as a man of the immediate. He is always acting based on his senses, especially his sense of sight. If you think about he immediately saw Rebecca and fell in love. He acts on the sense of taste in that he loved his, the game that his son prepared. It says, I believe, four different times in the passage that we just read over and over again. It says the food that he loved. So he is obsessed with taste and with food. And then lastly, his smell. And like Eve in the garden, Isaac judged the situation not by his obedience to God, but by his senses. And in this story, ironically, his senses fail him. He can't see, so he's not able to judge which, which son he has. He smells, but when he smells, he doesn't smell what he thinks he ought to, or he smells deceitfully and smells Esau instead of Isaac, uh, instead of Jacob. And then his uh, taste even deceives him because he is so obsessed with his food that he is eating that he doesn't look past his own nose to recognize that his, he is being deceived. But the greater error of Isaac is that he allowed his love for his firstborn son and his own gluttony to bring him into a direct rebellion against God. Remember, Isaac knows the prophecy of God that the older will serve the younger. He knows that Jacob should be the one to receive the blessing. And yet, he loves Esau and the food that he prepares. He is willing to go against the purpose of God for the sake of some delicacy. Unless we think that Jacob and Rebekah are any better, consider their errors as well. Rebekah acts in direct disobedience to her husband, choosing to elaborately deceive her husband rather than to submit to his leadership. Jacob, too, is complicit in this deception and falls to, fails to honor his father by choosing to deceive him. In all of this, the characters of this story break every last commandment. Consider this. If you think through the Ten Commandments, consider this. Isaac put Esau before God. Esau and Jacob both made an idol of their birthright. Both Esau and Jacob were, would have gladly taken the blessing in vain, taking God's name while dishonoring him. No one in this story rested in God's promise and provision and timing. Both Esau and Jacob dishonored their parents. Esau would have come, uh, 
Esau would come to hate his brother, which Jesus would later say is the same as murder. Esau also committed adultery by marrying two women. Jacob stole his brother's birthright and bore false witness to his own father. And everyone in the story coveted what the other had. And they did all of this for the sake of gaining God's blessing on their own terms. What they did would set the stage for strife and sin that would extend through the nations of Israel and Edom. Both nations would repeat the sins of their father. Because of the failures of Esau, the nation of Edom would never look up from their idolatry. And like their fathers Isaac and Jacob, the nation of Israel would seek, the gain, to, seek to gain God's blessings on their own terms. They would make alliances with foreign gods or foreign governments. They would marry the women of the land and they would ultimately face exile because of their ongoing disobedience. The Israel of Jesus' day was no, de- no better. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herodians had gladly made an uneasy alliance with Rome to preserve their power. They had hoped that the Messiah would come in and he would usher in some new power that they could harness. They had hoped that he would come to crush the Roman Empire and that they would be first in his kingdom. But Jesus came instead to the lowly and the despised. He revealed the kingdom of God by casting out demons, by healing the sick, and by challenging the religious and the political leaders. So they drew up some trump charges and summarily had him executed. Yet what they could not know is that everything they did, from the sham trial to the handing over uh, to Pilate, was all in accordance with the will of God. Jesus had already told them in John chapter 10, verse 17, that no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down freely, and I have the power to take it up again. They didn't know what was coming, but Jesus did. Peter would later tell, them, uh, tell these same Jews in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see, Jesus' death was not an accident. Jesus' death was the pinnacle of God's plan. You see, Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection accomplished what God had purposed from the very beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God's purpose could not be thwarted by a rebellious Jacob who was more concerned about his stomach than the blessings of God, and it could not be thwarted by the conniving of Rebekah or the plans of Jacob. And it couldn't be thwarted by the unfaithfulness of Israel or Edom or the hypocritical religion of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. God would bless the world through Jesus, and He would use all of the mistakes of Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Joseph, the Judah, the nation of Israel, the apostles, all of those mistakes, all of those sins, all of the rebellion of man, he would use all of it to accomplish his purpose. Brothers and sisters, this is good news for us. 
For one, it's a reassurance to us that even our own sins cannot thwart the purpose of God to save us. Even though we may stray terribly, even though we may act even against the will of God directly, and yet God is still faithful. He is still faithful to save us. But it's also good news because God's purposes to save the world are not hindered by our inabilities. So often we in the church can fall prey, can fall prey to this same philosophy of progress. We think that we have to usher in the kingdom of God by some means or another. We think that we need politics or programs or power to get our way and to bring about the kingdom of God. Yet God has not appointed those means for us. Rather, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, that it is through the foolishness of preaching that God accomplishes His purposes through the church. He also says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You see, the power of God is not found in the right political party or in the right outreach program. The power of God is found in the foolishness of preaching the gospel. Our calling is to trust in the promises of God and to seek the blessings of the kingdom of God through obedience to the gospel. So what does that look like? It looks like each one of us Number one, living our lives as believers in our place and time. It looks like us loving our neighbor. It looks like us doing good where we can, while we can. It looks like us telling others about Jesus Christ. It looks like us, just like I said a little bit earlier, raising our children in the way of the Lord and our grandchildren to know who Jesus is. It looks like us making sure that we order our lives in obedience to Christ. All of that other stuff, whether it be CHOP or CHAZ or whatever they're called, or, or whether it be who get, wins the presidency in November, or whether it be what happens with the pandemic, all of that stuff ultimately is governed by God still. He is still in control, whether... Our guy makes the, uh, makes the list uh, as president next time or whether the next, the, another guy does or another girl. Whatever the case may be, God is still in control. And what we are called to do is to faithfully live out the truth of the gospel where we are while we are here. One of the ways that we are called to be faithful in the gospel is by remembering Christ's death through this supper. As we take the Lord's Supper, we are acting in open rebellion against the power of this world. We say in taking this bread and this cup, the statement we are making as we eat this bread and we drink this cup is that we trust in God's purposes and God's timing over the ways of the world. Have you ever thought about how foolish this looks to the world? 
Have you ever thought about how strange if if some unbeliever came in and sat on the pew back there, how strange this would look to those who witness it? How strange it would look for them to witness a baptism. It's otherworldly. And it's supposed to be because Jesus said His kingdom is not from this world. We trust in God's kingdom, not in earthly politics or power. We trust that the answer to our own sin and the world's iniquity is found in this dying and rising Savior. So at this time, I'd ask that Brother Melvin come forward and and, uh, help in the administration of the Lord's Supper.